Living Heritage, a show about people who are engaged in the heritage and culture sector, all those who keep our history alive at the community level. I'm Dale Jarvis. Today, we are taking a trip to the community of Millville in the Codroy Valley on Newfoundland's west coast. We're going to have a chat with Edwin Hockey Gale, whose family started the carding mill that gave the town its name. Joining him is Megan Sams, who is a weaver and textile artist living and working in Millville, near the house she grew up in, and where she learned to spin yarns and knit them together. We start our chat with Hockey, talking about the history of the Gale family mill. Tell me what you know about, well, the Gale family, I guess, and how it all got started. Yeah, well, it was my grandfather that started it, which would have been uh, probably in the late 1800s, 1890, maybe in that area. And they used to send wool in there from everywhere at the time. They sent it from like PEI all over Newfoundland, everywhere. It was sent in here and they had a 24-hour shift in the mill. That was back in the 50s, I think, is when they stopped producing so much. Like, right. you know, farming died off a bit in the 50s or whatever. But uh, they kept it running really until the early 70s. And it was started, like I said, back in the 1890s. And then uh, my grandfather's uh, brothers ran it, uh, Henry and Ned. Father wasn't really involved in the woolen mill. He was more involved in the uh, retail store. He had a small store. My grandfather did too. So my father got into the retail business. Uh, But the rest of the families mostly were all working in the carding mill. Yeah, my grandfather, he was married three times. So he had four children with his first wife, and none with his second wife, and then 12 children with his third wife. <laughs> and of course, my, fa- my father was, his third, was the third wife, so he had uh, eight brothers and four sisters, so they all kind of worked in the mill at one time or the other, you know. But so, uh, the carding mills are still out there. I still have two out there of the old-fashioned mills, you know, and we're planning maybe sometime if we ever retire, because I'm still in the, the retail business. <laughs> Well, Hockey owns the store now. Yeah, it was my grandfather's store. Then it was my father's store. And that was my store. It was passed down. But this is the end. We got we got <laughs> kids, but nobody wants to run the store. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, the mill building itself, has it always been the same building or has the building uh, shifted or changed? Uh, no, I think the building has always been the same. At right. one time, they did move the building. Uh, it was run on water first. Okay. And then when the diesel diesel engines came out, I guess in the early 1900s or whatever, they got a big diesel engine that ran it, and then they moved it up here, away from the the brook. But first, it was run by the water wheel. Yeah. And the wheel was in Granddaddy's brook, and the wheel was attached to the cards, which ran the belts on the carters. Yes. Yeah. That's right. Right. You said there's two carding mills still there. So yes. are they? How are they running? Well, they're they're just there now. They're not they're not running. Yeah, but are they diesel or are they electric or how do they what do they run on? Well, they ran on a diesel uh, engine with a belt. You know, the engine was outside the building, kind of in a room by itself, and the belt came in through ran the the drums. Yes, which the clothing cards wrap around the two drums. So when the belt would move the drum, that would move the clothing and comb which combs the or brushes the wool right yeah and it all comes out in little curly long strands and then they got to spin it on their spinning wheel right mm. right yeah yeah make it into yarn once the stuff was carded like you said it came from from all over uh, yes in bags yeah and then you would ship it back out again would you yes yeah yeah it came in as wool and we had to put it through the 
the picker. It went through the picker and picked the dirt out of it. And then it went through the cards. And then it came out in these long, curly things. And they put them in a bag and shipped it back to the customer. Did you work there when you were younger? No, I didn't. No, no. Did, were you, but did you go in at times when it was working? Yes. Well, it was in the, it was in the 70s, the first time I was in there and saw it running. Yeah. And at that time, I think they might have been only running one card. Yeah. And uh, all the cards were upstairs in the mill, and it was a lot of weight, so it was, it was well built, the mill was. <laughs> but now we moved them downstairs, and there's still two out there. And they're set up, but they're not set up really to run. You'd have to have somebody who knows the speed they got to turn and mm. stuff yeah. like that. Everything got to be right on. I don't know of anybody... <laughs> Knows that around here now. One of our neighbors here, Leonard Smith, he worked in the mill when he was a teenager. Yeah, I would yeah. say yeah, he's yeah. a little older than me. <laughs> yeah. So the building itself, it was a, it is a two-story building. Yes. Yeah. It's about, uh, it's about twenty-five by forty or yeah. thirty by forty, something like that. Yeah. And you're saying there's there's two mills there now. Like how many when it was in full production? How many? Five. Yeah, there was five all in a row upstairs. At a busy time, how many people would be working in the building? I don't know for sure. I know they had a twenty-four hour shift. There was it didn't stop like it was going yeah. continuous. Yeah. That's why you needed. That's why you needed twelve children. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. <laughs> well, you had sixteen altogether. Yeah. Sixteen, yeah. But uh, back then, I guess that wasn't uncommon, eh? For mm. uh, big families. Did you grow up, Megan? Like, you know, kind of immersed in this history of textiles. Well, hockey opened the mill as a museum when I was a kid for a couple summers. Yeah, two or three, yeah. Yeah, and that's, I learned how to hand card fleece from him. He showed me on just like the hand cards. They look like big paddle brushes. And then I learned to, my mom's a sewer. My nan, who I didn't know, she was a sewer and a spinner and a knitter. And then I have some ancestors who are long gone now who were weavers. Their house is just up around the corner from our houses here. And there's an old loom in that house and an old hand crank knitting machine. And so it was always around. But of course, as a youngster, I didn't really take take advantage of it in the best way. (laughs) Like I didn't appreciate it as much. And but then I moved away and um, I was knitting a lot. And actually, Jardine, hockey's wife and partner. And my godmother taught me, her and my mom taught me to knit. I was uh, looking for a spinning wheel to um, keep, yeah, spinning yarn, because I had learned the basics. And then I, uh, anyways, I went home with a loom and a spinning wheel. So I went from there. <laughs> so are you, are you all kind of self-taught or taught by family members? Family members and self-taught, yeah. I taught myself to weave. Yeah. Um, and then hockey taught me the basics of how to deal with fleece. But I also work with a functioning museum wool mill in Southern Alberta. So we do collaborative projects, natural dye projects, um, where we produce naturally dyed wool and spun yarn in bulk, basically. Uh, But then we also have specialty projects that are small runs of specific dye lots. I learned a lot through that mill too. Like I had ba- like baseline understanding from hanging out at hockey's mill and learning, you know, what fleece feels like and what it is to be carded and, and um, how that works. But then in terms of like mass wool production and kind of the qualities of different breeds of sheep and everything, I, I learned a lot of that through um, 
this mill, custom woolen mills it's called. Mm -hmm. When you emailed me, I, I have to admit, I didn't know that there was still a, a mill in the province that was still kind of had equipment and whatnot. Do you, do you know, are there other ones that, that are around or? I don't know, but there used to be two here in the valley. There they? was more than two. There was probably three or four back yeah. in the, you know, yeah. years and years ago. I don't know of any, no, no, not yeah. on the island here. And I don't know of any, like many mills are a really popular thing across the country now, but I don't know of any on the island here. There's a, there's McCausland's in PEI and there's various mini mills in PEI. There's in New Brunswick, Nova Scotia. There's a linen mill in Nova Scotia now too, but I'm not familiar of any here on the island. Because I know a lot of people... Um... I, I've heard from farmers and sheep farmers like they just they just throw out the the wool because fleece. yeah the fleece they just get rid of it because it's not yeah. something that they, they 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 feel there's not a market for it uh, locally I guess which I think there are everyone's a knitter there yes. is <laughs> definitely a place there's a place for a mill we yeah. need a mill yeah I think and having a mill here anywhere on the island. It'd be great if it was in Millville. <laughs> it really would uh, inf infuse kind of cultural identification again, and and I think have bringing rural skills back too really improves cultural identity, and it's a value added skill that people can you know carry through all areas, and it's a diversified skills too like those are things people can use like, year-round and they're valuable what do you see as uh, kind of the challenges for you as a textile artist in living in newfoundland like what what do you think the biggest challenges are for you to, to keep doing what you're doing i honestly part of my motivation so i i'm from Aaron born and raised here my dad's side of the family is Mi'kmaq. My mom's side is Naklatmuk and Mi'kmaq. And I moved when I was 18, came back when I was 24 or something, got married here when I was 23, and then moved home again um, permanently not too long ago. And, and part of it was because I actually saw an opportunity uh, and that it wasn't limiting. Because um, cost, cost of life is less. Uh, my family's all around the craft industry here, like the industry craft industry strategy that's in place until 2021. It was a huge influence too. Like I actually thought, think Newfoundland's a place to be in terms of a craftsperson. Um, also, Newfoundland's known across Canada as being a craft-heavy province and that there are still a lot of practitioners and people come here for that tourists i mean come here for that so i actually thought it was opportunistic to as a craftsperson but i mean that one of the downsides may be that uh, a craftsperson like i have to kind of market my craft work outward like and um have an online store and engage with with mm -hmm. that side of things which kind of takes my time away from actually making the work. Yeah. So what would, what would make your life easier? Avenues to sell work, but also, you know, a gallery is not necessarily the answer because that, that often it takes a big chunk out of the sales price and doesn't necessarily leave um, a 
a living wage for a craftsperson or a wage that they can improve their studio practice on. Do you have a, a kind of a brick and mortar studio in, in Millville? Like, can someone come there and buy something from you directly? I do. Right now it's in my dad's garage. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. And next summer it's in our to-do list to build a, loom, a proper loom shed because my big loom is seven feet wide, seven tall. So it doesn't even fit in the in the garage. So um, next year there will be like a actual loom shed. There's just dye pots and looms and stuff. But yeah, I do. I do have a little studio right now. The woman in Millville and on the north side of the river here used to be known widely for basket making, Mi'kmaq baskets, and yeah. then hand-woven textiles. So, and there was a guild here in the valley that lent looms out to people who wanted to weave. Like it, it was a thriving craft here in the valley specifically. And through my work with the Guild of Canadian Weavers, also uh, some of the research that we've done, there's the only kind of at mention at length of weavers in Newfoundland is from the valley. And so it's really in my interest to get people dying, naturally dying. So using the plants on the land around us and get them on a loom too. Like I'll teach anybody anytime to weave. It's yeah, vital skill yeah. to yeah. this place. It's also very place-based. I think there's a tremendous market for that kind of instructional uh, kind of work. You know, I like lots of people want to go away and learn a skill and do something and be immersed in a place, you know. Yeah, and it's something we could start practicing here because we don't have to go anywhere. You need it's, to find someone with an old mill you can turn into a craft yeah, school. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you never know, that might happen. <laughs> <laughs> it's great to just kind of meet both of you and, and to know that this stuff is happening, you know, because I feel sometimes in Newfoundland, people work in little pockets and they don't know what's happening across the province. You know what they know, they might know what's happening in the next community over, but they certainly don't know what's happening in Cod Roy or on the Northern mm. Peninsula. And, and some of these things, I think there's kind of a growing interest and as well, some pressure in terms of timing to do some of this stuff. Like you talked about basket making, like the, I know there's a bit of a, a resurgence of interest around basket making. I know there's some, still some people around um, Stephenville, um, yeah. St. George's area that are doing basketry, but you know, it used to be a widespread skill in, in the province and they're really just, it's easier to go to the dollar store and buy a basket than it is to. Yeah, that's that's right. right. And but they're not even the same thing. Like you no. can't even put them. It's, and I, it's the same with textiles. You can, you can buy a coverlet or not even a blanket from the dollar store, but it's not, no. or Walmart or whatever, but it's not even close to the same thing. And, you know, you buy a hand woven blanket and you're probably going to pass it on for three or four to six generations, you know, and then it'll be turned into a, bench cover or something like it's not and in terms of sustainability that yeah. is um kind of the ideal to to have something for a few hundred years i know the the craft council as well that one of the things that we've had conversations about is, is that there is an incredible opportunity for education like educating the market about why craft costs a certain amount and and i think people yeah might be more willing to pay for things if they really understood, you know, the stories behind those objects and, and you know, that and how how things are produced. If people can go somewhere and meet a craftsperson and hear the story and, and understand a bit more about the work, I think they're willing to pay more money for that 
that craft yeah. at the end of the day. And also in practicality, it's just practical to have a beautiful blanket that's gonna that's gonna last. You know, be with the person from the time they're born. And this used to be the practice that you were born, you got a blanket, and it was also your burial shroud if it didn't get passed on to the, your kid or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. <laughs> I didn't well, with, there's this there's this trend now towards green burials, so maybe that could be your that could be your niche market, <laughs> right there. Yeah. Right. Well, I have woven burial shrubs, and it's a, I love making them. <laughs> yeah. So really, so, you've you've done that before, yeah? I have. Yeah. yeah. Uh, conceptual one, but also like an actual one like, wow. that someone got buried in. Interesting. Yeah. So, what are you working on? What are you working on right now? I'm winding a warp right now for kitchen towels, um, and they're dyed with pomegranate and thorn bark. Yeah, so like sea buck thorn bark, yeah, which we grow here. My parents have a bunch in their backyard, and yeah, yeah, and they're woven with organic cotton and linen, and so I make them quite large. So people either pin them to their wall, use them as a baby towel, use them as a hand towel or a kitchen towel, or like a like a small runner on their table. Everything I make, I try to have make in mind to have many functions. We've got a lot of sheep in the valley. Too. Yeah, so who who are the who are the people who are still raising sheep? Oh, Anna John Lee. Downey. John Downey and Anna Lee. We've got a young couple that just moved in who they want to start with sheep. Hey, Sand- Ryan got a couple. He's yeah. got a bunch. Yeah. And Sandra and Cliffy DeVoe have sheep. Um, and are they largely uh, nothing like there used to be one time? One time there was mm-hmm. sheep. Everybody had sheep. And are yeah, they raising those for for meat primarily these days? Yeah, a lot yeah. of people are composting or burning the fleece. But I just saved fifty pounds of fleece <laughs> just the other day from getting burned, and we're going to get it turned into duvets, and so that's good. You know the the fleece that's out there. Like these people are raising sheep. You know what? what needs to happen in order to make that useful again? Like what, what do you need to have in place in order to collect it and process it? We need a mill and, and the knowledge to do it. Like skirting a fleece is easy. Uh, it takes a few minutes per fleece. You clip it off the sheep, you roll it out, you skirt away the manure, you pick out the veg matter, and then the rest gets done at the mill level. So it then gets scoured and goes through the picker and the cards and gets turned into whatever that mill produces. So whether it's just bats or yarn or socks or whatever, log home, like home insulation is another oh, thing. Yeah. You can make anything with fleece. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Insulation is a huge one. Interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. It's awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> so we need the knowledge that fleece is super useful It's easy to handle. Hand spinning is a worthwhile craft as well, hand spinning yarn. And then that woolen goods are perfectly suited for this place. Like a person can wear as much micro fleece as they want when they're out in the boat or when they're in the woods and they're going to, it's not going to treat them as well as wearing woolen products. Like even when wool's, when wool's wet, for example, it actually, uh, on a chemical level, the hydrogen bonds snap and that creates heat. And then again, when the wool's drying, they snap into place again and create heat. Oh, and especially a woolen spun yarn, because there's a few different um, methods of preparing fleece, but in a like woolen spun is very lofty and warm just by nature. And then add to that, that chemical level where it um, 
creates heat. It's perfect because <laughs> we're, you know, we're in the woods or on the water. Or I know my partner and I, we're in the, we're outside every day, all day, like either in the gardens or out walking or out in the bush or whatever. So, so where, where are you currently getting uh, the bulk of your supplies? I currently get it through the mill that I work with yeah. out in Southern Alberta. Yeah. Yeah. I'd prefer to get it here. <laughs> yeah. 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 And they, they're a really good example of how it can be done like a local as a local textile industry as well. Cause all of their fleece comes within a hundred kilometers of their mill. So it's all, you know, pretty hyper local and it's beautiful fleece. And we have an added benefit here that there's a Newfoundland sheep. So that's, you know, it's good for meat and fleece. It's another little marketing wedge that can be used as well is that it's a Newfoundland sheep. It's all fascinating. I love, I love hearing about it. I'm also the Newfoundland rep of the Guild of Canadian Weavers. So I'm right. trying to reach out to every weaver in the province and I want to engage with them and get on um, like our guild. It's national and we do lots of promotion of hand weaving, like including members and exhibits and like we also have a master weavers program that we offer and we do a lot of mentorship and support. And so I really would like to, um, spread that across Newfoundland as well. There's a, a good group of like younger people, you know, like under 50 people who are, are interested in, uh, in this kind of stuff. And, and several graduates of the Anna Templeton uh, center who are out doing weaving work. Like I think there's, I think there's enough people um, mm. that, you know, you could kind of get together and push things forward, I think. Yeah, well, and it's weaving is I think is viable as of like a fine craft work, but also a rural industry. Like it's yeah. also just a trade, you know. Like it can also just be it's a means of production, local sustainable production. Well, lovely. This has been great. Uh, good to meet you both, and uh, I, I hope we we chat in the future. Next time I'm out in, in on the west coast, I'm going to want to come for a a tour of the mill. Right yes. <laughs> yeah. For sure. Well, Grand. Alan, thank you. Okay, thank you. You've been listening to the Living Heritage Podcast, a co-production of Heritage NL and CHMR Radio at Memorial University. You can find previous episodes on iTunes or wherever you download podcasts. We're on Twitter at HFNLCA. Do you have a question or a suggestion about an aspect of culture and heritage you want us to explore? Send us your mail, and we'll do our best to answer it in an upcoming show. Email us at livingheritagepodcast at gmail.com. Our theme music is by Lache Swing. Thanks for listening. <laughs>